Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. It's March 27th. It's a new episode. And I'm going to be just talking about two topics during this podcast. Uh, one of them is obviously going to be the week in Trump. We've got to update the listeners for that. And uh, I've got some insight, so I think that it's somewhat helpful. Therefore, you're going to get to listen to it as well. The second part is a real blast from the past. It's a story from when I was a very young lawyer. And it's a name that if you're under the age of 45, my guess is you probably don't recognize the name. But if you're older, if you live through the 70s into the 80s, I suppose, this name was as ubiquitous as Muhammad Ali back then. Maybe not quite as Muhammad Ali, but a huge name uh, from the 70s. And I had forgotten about my one run-in, I guess you could call it. I wouldn't even call it a run-in experience with him until something I read in the news. And all of a sudden, this name just brought up a, an old memory. So I'm going to talk about that in a bit. And the, the fellow's name is Yuri Geller, U-R-I, and then the popular spelling of Geller. I suppose he's still alive. He's 76, 77, I think I checked. He was is a psychic, a magician, an illusionist. It was a different world back then. I'm going to go into that in a bit and explain, but anyway, you're going to get a Yuri Geller story. So that's a bonus for today. With regard to this week in Trump, uh, the New York DA clearly was starting to feel the pressure with the ridiculous criminal case uh, of which he was about to indict Trump with. And that was the, his conduct was the payoff to story, Stormy Daniels and some other bimbo, which was disguised on his corporate books to make it appear as if it was legal fees to Michael Cohen. I mean, that's the whole case. The case obviously is moronic. And I would say that this was a major miscalculation by Alvin Bragg. Not a surprise. I mean, this is the guy that on the first day in office, he sent out a memo and said, we're not going to be prosecuting the following crimes, like anything that could avoid having to prosecute minorities for the most part. And naturally, there's been massive defections in his office from his office. And there's really low level of satisfaction people that are working there because they can tell that this is you know, a political office now. It's no longer about justice. It's about getting Alvin Bragg the next job. So the case, as it was sort of coming out in terms of what the facts are and what he's going to be charged with, and keeping in mind that this is a former president of the United States, Donald Trump, you know, like him or hate him, to charge him with something that's really misdemeanor behavior. And I've had trials with falsifying business records. They've all been charged as misdemeanors and people have gotten convicted. Some people have gotten acquitted and it's never the main charge. It's always like the throw in with like a, a massive fraud or if there's, you know, even I've even had a case with a doctor who uh, was accused of sexually assaulting a patient and he got charged with the additional misdemeanor of falsifying his business records because he apparently rubbed some numbers out and put something else in. It's an incredibly minor charge. No one ever goes to jail for it. But Alvin Bragg is about to indict somebody uh, and he's going to turn into a felony. It's still misdemeanor conduct. And he, he could tell that he's feeling the pressure. The articles are coming out. You've got people that are Democrats that are capable of being honest and are saying this is a silly case. They also have the problem, the DA's office, with the fact that the credibility of Michael Cohn 
is what makes the case work. Without Michael Cohn, there's no way to show intent that uh, that Donald Trump was intending to falsify these business records. And, and Michael Cohn, as we know, is as least as big of a dirtbag as as Trump. And he's been in jail, you know, for his fraud. Federally, he was convicted. And you could see that halfway through the week, last week, the pressure was really starting to get to brag. He was very thin-skinned, and he's usually not so thin-skinned. I've dealt with the office. It was clear to me that he knew he had made a mistake, and he was looking for a way out. You just could tell that the way he was reacting, he was not aggressive. All of a sudden, he was standing down, and he was acting in a very defensive manner, lashing out at any of his critics. Now, I've asked around other lawyers, and we've talked about this in our circles, and every single lawyer, even, as I said, even the liberals have agreed that the case is a joke and that Bragg was a clown. But of course, then naturally, Donald Trump, being Donald Trump, began screwing things up, and perhaps he threw a life raft to Alvin Bragg, which is incredible, but this is what Trump does. But before we get into the case update itself, you know, even more, just be reminded again that it's all Trump, all week. Trump, 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 Trump. He's not the president. The election isn't for another year and a half. And yet Trump has sucked all the air out of the room. Again, all of the controversy about Hunter Biden and the Biden family receiving payments from Chinese state companies, it's all gone from the news, all off the first page. You've got situations uh, over in, in Syria where Iran killed one of our soldiers. Do you even know about it? You don't know about it because it's not important anymore. Trump, 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 Trump. That's all that matters. The southern border is still being overrun, not important anymore. China is abusing us, and they're threatening to invade Taiwan. And we have an agreement with Taiwan that if China attacks them, invades them, that will help defend Taiwan. Anybody know about this? And the fact that we've given so many of our weapons to the Ukraine along with $100 billion. Anybody want to talk about that? I would think that's a pretty uh, important set of issues, don't you think? That China is acting, uh, its leader, as if he's uh, the cat that swallowed the canary. Like he doesn't have a care in the world. Why? It's like he knows something. He knows that America is not capable of fighting back because we've emptied out the weaponry for the Ukraine. But again, it's not really an important story anymore because of Trump, Trump, Trump. Bank stocks are sinking. Biden's poll numbers are nearing an all-time low again. Again, nothing matters anymore because Trump. And it's not like this is good Trump news. It's all bad. It makes him look like an even bigger idiot than you ever could have imagined. But to Trump, being famous is all that counts. Uh, he could have handled this impending criminal indictment in a way that would have shown him to be presidential by pointing out the ridiculousness of it all, that, again, the conduct is really misdemeanor, and how the far left has hijacked the Democratic Party and is now trying to eliminate its political opponents through the courts, through uh, the district attorney's office. But that would have required Trump to actually have a brain in his head, which anyone with a brain in his head knows that Trump does not. Now, you'd like to think he'd learned something from the January 6th debacle. You'd like to think that he's somewhat chastened for calling for a riot that day, all because he lost an election to Joe Biden. He revved up the crowd uh, around January 6th by claiming that the election was being stolen from him and that 
He said that his supporters had to fight like hell or we're not going to have a country anymore. Does that sound familiar? That's what he said for January 6th. He then asked his supporters to prevent the certification of Biden's Electoral College win, which his supporters did by smashing into the Capitol and battling with police. Uh, Trump also agreed at one point that Mike Pence deserved to be hanged. Now, over a thousand Trump supporters have been arrested for the riot at the Capitol. Trump called for it, yet despite numerous of his supporters being arrested while Trump was still in office, and I've talked about this before, uh, Trump pardoned none of them, not a single one. Instead, he gave rappers clemency, uh, Democratic fundraisers, Trump friends. Many of them were pardoned or received clemency and had their sentences commuted. I think Bernie Carrick was one of them and, uh, that had that was pardoned. Trump could have pardoned the regular January 6th defendants, the regular people, the ones that were arrested by the time that he was dishing out pardons, but he didn't. And, and I'll tell you the reason why. And I know, look, I, you know, there may be Trump supporters here who understand I'm not a liberal. I mean, I'm a liberal on some issues, but I am certainly not a Democrat. I'll never vote Democrat for the rest of my life. Never on any, for anything, for dog catcher, I wouldn't. But why didn't Trump pardon any of the January 6th defendants? Well, it's for the same reason he didn't pay any of the legal fees of the January 6th defendants, all who were arrested because they followed his orders and they protested at the Capitol. Because he knows that his followers are morons, who he can shit all over and they'll still support him. I mean, that's the truth. There's really no other explanation. So let's get back to last week. Now, according to him, not the Manhattan DA, he was to be arrested on Tuesday, and of course we found out that that was naturally a lie. The grand jury hadn't even finished seeing all the witnesses, and Trump lied to the public and said he was going to be arrested, and it came out that he wanted to be perp-walked, and he wanted his own camera team there, and he wanted to be fingerprinted, he wanted the whole shebang. And, you know, why, why, why is he doing this? Well, it's because he wants to get his followers to pressure the DA to stop the indictment. That's part of it as if we're some kind of third-world banana republic. And if you think he learned something from the January 6th fallout, the damage to the Capitol, to our country's image, to the imprisonment of Americans who were led astray by a, a dumb snake oil salesman, the, the imprisonment and the breakup of families, the suicides even of January 6th defendants, if you think that Trump learned anything from it, you're hopelessly wrong. Because when he believed they would be charged criminally for falsifying his business records to hide the Stormy Daniels hush payment, he said the following publicly, quote, isn't it terrible that D.A. Bragg refuses to do the right thing and call it a day? He would rather indict an innocent man, but bullshit, and create years of hatred, chaos, and turmoil than give him his well-deserved freedom. The whole country, any capitalized country, sees what's going on and they're going to take, they're not going to take it anymore. That's a suggestion of violence, right? They've had enough. There was no error made. Error is capitalized for some reason, only known to Trump. No misdemeanor. Misdemeanor is capitalized for no reason. No crime. Crime is capitalized for no reason. And above all, all caps, no case. They spied on my campaign. That's true. Rigged the election rigged and election capitals, no reason, falsely impeached, that's fair, but impeached is capitalized, that's wrong, cheated and lied, they are all quotes, all caps, human scum. All day Thursday, he was ranting about Alvin Bragg, and it went into early Friday morning with this, 
quote, what kind of person can charge another person, in this case, a former president of the United States who got more votes than any sitting president in history and leading candidate by far for the Republican Party nomination with a crime capitalized when it is known by all that no, all capitals, crime capitalized for no reason, has been committed and also known that Potential death and destruction in such a false charge could be catastrophic for our country, country capitalized for no reason. Why and who would do such a thing? Only a degenerate psychopath that truly misspelled truly T-R-U-E-L-Y. For some reason, Truth Social doesn't have uh, that little red squiggly lines to show that you're an idiot and you can't spell a two-syllable word. Only a degenerate psychopath that truly hates the USA. This was Friday at 1 a.m. He's actually bragging about getting more votes than any sitting president ever, but neglects to mention that his opponent, the addled Joe Biden, got more. And he's actually telling Bragg and our country that if he's charged criminally, his followers will cause potential death and destruction. Why? Why would he say such a thing? He's threatening harm to other Americans? (laughs) That's utter bonkers. That's the same as the January 6th shit. How many lives did he ruin for that? Did he care about you then? Are you going to be dumb and care about him when you know he doesn't care about you? You're going to kill for him and go to jail for the rest of your life for him? He won't even acknowledge you. In case you weren't sure if he was calling for violence, his insane rant was posted after he put up an image of himself holding a baseball bat next to Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg's head. It can only be interpreted as a threat against Bragg. Look, I can't stand Alvin Bragg, but I I appreciate the system. It's what keeps us from anarchy. He's calling for a threat against a sitting district attorney. Listen, this is what gang members do. This is what gang members do who are dealing kilos of cocaine. Chapo Guzman didn't threaten any American prosecutor, but Donald Trump can? And I wildly disagree with the indictment against Trump. I do. And as I said, most sane people also disagree with it. And I hate Trump, but I'd rather his next cheeseburger do him in than some partisan hack DA indicting him over a a hush payment made to one of his hookers. But if you think threatening a DA is going to help matters, no matter how much any of us hate Bragg, you are crazy. It's not going to help. If you think his threatening fellow Americans helps him, you're as dumb as he is. If anything, it's going to cause public opinion to move back in favor of Alvin Bragg, which should never happen. The case is that bad. Bragg is on the ropes. His press office, Bragg's press office, is making veiled threats to reporters who dare to report what people think about his charges against Trump. Threats like, and I'm going to quote, We're really disappointed with the coverage. We're not in a good place. Meaning the DA's office and the reporter are not in a good place. All because reporters are asking people, lawyers like me, what they think of the charges. Trump had four years to fix the leftist mess in the schools that, that created an Alvin Bragg graduating from Harvard. Can you imagine Alvin Bragg at Harvard? 
He had four years to work on getting rid of woke prosecutors. Now, DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, fired a woke prosecutor. Now, I get that DeSantis is a governor and he has direct power in Florida, but don't you think Trump could have spent some time with conservative governors over the four years and gone over some game plan to get rid of the crazy leftists that remained in their states or in their schools? Instead, that fat pile of orange shit was watching Fox and Friends all day and fighting with people on Twitter. If he was smart, he'd use this pending indictment in a way that would help him and his party get back into the White House. He'd calmly point out the weakness of the case, the fact that no former president had ever been charged with a crime. Nixon was involved in the break-in at the Watergate Hotel to, to spy on his opponent. And he was never charged with a crime. Trump paid off a porn star. He didn't commit treason or spy on his opponents. But Trump is too dumb. And it's not just too dumb. He doesn't care. He only cares about himself. As I said last week, this guy didn't give a damn when the George Floyd rioters were destroying American cities. He didn't care when Biden left the borders wide open and crime skyrocketed. He didn't call for any protests then, only when he hoped that protests could intimidate Alvin Bragg into not charging him. He only called for protests when he wanted the election results not to be certified on January 6th. He only cares about himself and he doesn't care about his supporters. It couldn't be more obvious. That's why he didn't help any of the January 6th defendants. That's why he didn't open up the purse strings for those ridiculous Republican candidates for Congress and Senate during last midterms. Not only did he not fund them, he endorsed loser after loser, which cost us the Senate, the Republicans, and nearly the Congress in a midterm that was seemingly impossible for the Republicans not to to sweep. And not only does not pay for January 6th offenses or for Republican candidates, pennies maybe, he took your money to pay his millions and millions of dollars of legal fees, fees that were incurred due to his actions. So if you're dumb enough to give Trump money, you're paying some sleazy, scummy lawyer who's desperate enough to represent him. I don't know any top lawyers who'd be crazy enough to take the job. Who wants it? I'd rather represent a child molester. Yeah. It's true. And Trump is acting like a clown over the past week with the moronic threats, the the obscene reaction. It's all to fundraise also. It's all about money for him. He raised a million and a half dollars off the looming indictment already, which is probably why he lied last week and said he was being indicted on Tuesday in part. He knows his base will keep paying his bills, even if every one of them has less money than Trump. My point is, it's all about Trump for Trump. It's not about making America great again. It's about getting him where he wants to be, getting him things. He trashes Ron DeSantis, the great Florida governor, demeans him, insults him. Last week, he called him a pedophile and a bisexual. And this has been going on for months. And when DeSantis finally responded with a lukewarm interview with Piers Morgan, DeSantis really went easy on Trump. And when you consider the horrible things that were said about him, He merely pointed out that Trump's routine of fighting with everyone about petty bullshit just takes away from governing, and it's true. Who can deny it? When DeSantis said those things, MAGA, the MAGA world, lost its mind and called DeSantis disloyal. DeSantis was disloyal? What about Trump? If you look back at Donnie Trump Jr.'s tweets, he's saying the most beautiful things about Ron DeSantis a couple of years ago. 
Now, when he thinks that the grift may end, and that's it. That's all the grifters, all the MAGA grifters. Look at them online. They're just trashing DeSantis, lying about him. They're saying anything. Why? Because they're afraid the grift is going to end and they're going to have to actually work to feed their idiot families. They're selling fucking pillows. Remember, Trump gave us Fauci and not only wouldn't fire him, but honored him with a presidential commendation. Trump shut down the country for COVID. Trump gave us a vaccine that's killing young Americans with heart attacks. Trump gave us a vaccine that is a lie, promising it would be that he would get rid of COVID. You couldn't get COVID if you took the vaccine. That was a lie. Trump did all of that. And he's blaming DeSantis for handling COVID poorly. Why is everyone moving to Florida? Trump is like a Palestinian. No lie is too small for him. Palestinians claim that Israel treats them the way Hitler treated the Jews, and yet Palestinians have stores named after Hitler and openly worship Nazis. It's the same moronic mentality. We're just going to keep lying to your face until you stop us. My point is, with all of this, is to tell you that Trump learned nothing from the January 6th fallout. And if you're 100% on board with Trump, that's okay. But I'm telling you this right now, and this is a fact, and you could take it to the grave. Trump is not getting elected in 2024. The midterm elections last November should have made very clear that independents hate him. And much of the Republican Party does as well. Just because he can get them nominated, his idiots nominated, like that Dr. Oz against that human turnip Fetterman, does not mean he has a chance in the general election, because those nominees all lost. He doesn't have a chance. And it'll be worse than last time, even as Joe Biden is practically incoherent and incompetent. What we need is a younger guy, not some 80-year-old facing criminal charges and probably at least two states and perhaps federally as well. And I'm not saying it's right what they're doing to Trump with all these lawsuits and criminal investigations and and, and now soon it's going to be charges because I don't think it's right. The left has weaponized prosecutors' offices the U.S. attorney's offices, the DA's offices, the courts. But it's what exists now. It's reality now in part because Trump did nothing to fix it in his four years. Just as he did nothing to fix the mail-in vote fraud, the ballot harvesting, the lack of voter ID. So if you for some insane reason have this infatuation for Trump, just know that there is a 0% chance he is winning in 2024. And if you can afford four more years of far leftism destroying America, then feel good about your Trump support. And as I've said here, Trump's disgusting treatment of Ron DeSantis ensures that DeSantis can't win the election, the general election, either. Trump's selfishness and concern only for himself makes very clear that if somehow DeSantis wins the nomination, and I don't see how it's possible because of the MAGA idiots. If it, if it isn't clear to you yet that Trump only cares about Trump, you'll see it then when he tells his supporters not to come out and vote for DeSantis in the general election. If it isn't clear to you now that Trump is only for Trump, then you should really seek mental help. If you actually believe Trump cares about the country and not just himself, you need mental help. I'm sorry. And I'm a Republican. And I'm not a, a, a never-Trumper. I would never vote Democratic. 
It couldn't be more obvious to objective people. At the end of the day, the direction our country is going in is more important than who is running the party in charge, you know, who's in charge. And we've surely seen this with the Biden administration. It doesn't make a difference that Biden's in office. It's his leftist handlers that are doing everything. The guy was in Canada last week praising the Canadians, and instead he praised the Chinese. I mean, Jesus H. Christ, how do you mix up the Chinese, our mortal enemy right now, with Canada? The left needs to be removed in 2024, and Trump threatening prosecutors is surely one way to keep them in power. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. I'm going to come back with Yuri Geller. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. I'm back talking about Yuri Geller, a real blast from the past. And as I said, it depends on the age of who is listening to this segment, but anyone really over the age, I guess, of 45 or so should know who Yuri Geller is. He was, is a psychic, an illusionist, a mind reader who was huge in the 70s. He was really this like striking figure too. He was tall, dark haired, Israeli dude who became famous for bending spoons with his mind. I know this sounds ridiculous, and you're thinking, what, what, what the fuck is this? He was always on TV. He was on Johnny Carson. He was famous during that time that, like, Muhammad Ali was huge. He wasn't as big as Muhammad Ali, but like the Harlem Globetrotters. There was a time when the Harlem Globetrotters were so big, they had Saturday morning cartoons. That big, really. He was famous almost like that. And to me, a kid who was really into magic when I was younger, I, I took notice. Now, listen, I'm going to take you back to the 70s. The world has changed a lot since I was a kid. And what I'm, what I'm talking about now is what kids were into then, what society valued and, uh, as an interest, as hobbies. As, this is what people were into. For example, coin collecting and stamp collecting. This was, these two things were huge in the 70s. There were rare coin stores that existed all over America. Kids collected coins. For real, you get a different penny for every year, and you'd, you'd stick it into this, this blue album with your thumb, and it was impossible to get them out of you, pushed them in too far. You know what I'm talking about. Whether it was like those Lincoln cents or Morgan dollars, kids collected coins. Every kid had a coin collection. Every kid. May not have been the best, but every kid had a coin collection. Stamps, too. Now no one collects stamps at all, it seems. It's just a different world. I mean, there are, there are high-end collectors of these things now, but it's not something that kids do. Even butterflies. We would run around. I mean, this is ridiculous. But every kid back then had a butterfly net in the early 70s. And you'd run around outside and you'd capture a butterfly. It was so fucking dumb. I mean, you're capturing this, this free animal. And it's still an animal, I guess, an insect, whatever. And you're sticking it in a jar. You're killing it. You're pinning it up against the, some uh, poster board. It's horrible. You're just torturing, whatever. Different world, man. Different world. Times change. And kids back then were so into magic. Magic shops were in abundance back then. And at the very least, any toy store you went into had like multiple magic kits for sale. I remember going to Disney as a kid, Disney World, and the magic store was one of the biggest uh, stores in the Magic Kingdom. 
now they don't have any. They have yet to go to like some far off Disney related area. And the, the magic store is tiny. It's like, you know, three feet wide. It's a different world. So many kids back then would do magic shows for their friends. And for kids' parties, there was always a magician that was hired. Card tricks, pulling flowers out of his hand, you know, out of his palm. One of those long colored hankies that you kept pulling, you kept going out of the hand. The magic wand that was black and it had the white ends, you know. Magic was huge back then. And I recall the magic show with Doug Henning. It was a Broadway show. It was all about magic and it had some songs and stuff. My parents took me when I was 10 years old, I think. It was really a big deal for a kid from New Jersey to go to a a Broadway show. It was like, you know, 40 minutes away, but it could have been 50,000 miles away. So we all got dressed up and I was pumped because I was a huge Doug Henning fan. I was into magic. And he was this little dude with a giant mustache, and he had this huge afro and these these buck teeth. And people didn't look so good back then. They look better now. He was the it magician in the country at the time. My parents took me and my brother, and we went to the show. But it was really just for me because I was so into magic. And uh, we went to dinner beforehand in the city. And I think we had dinner at... I'm I'm guessing, but I think it was Frankie and Johnny's, which was a restaurant near the, the theater district in Manhattan. I could be wrong. Anyway, I'm blabbing about going to the show the entire dinner. I was so jacked. This is like one of the handful of really great things that my parents did for me. I can think of a couple more. They took me uh, to an Islander Ranger game at Nassau Coliseum when I was a kid. And my dad, after fucking begging him a hundred times, took me in to see the Star Trek Federation trading post, which was a giant Star Trek store in lower Manhattan. I had to beg. And it was like, you know, again, like a 40-minute ride. And like one weekend, they finally took me and let me spend $12. Anyway, I'm digressing. So I'm at this restaurant, and I'm blabbing about the magic show and Doug Henning, and I'm all jacked up. Because this isn't some Broadway show that's going to bore me to tears when I'm 10 years old. Like, I don't want to see that shit. I want to see the magic show with Doug Henning. This is like the highlight of my life at the time. And finally, some restaurant patron uh, who was in the table nearby us uh, came over to our table and said, I couldn't help but hear you mention you're going to the magic show after dinner. Well, Doug Henning is sitting right over there and he points. I nearly plotzed. I walked over to him and I had him sign an autograph for me, which I can't seem to find, but I'm sure I will someday because when you're somebody like me, you don't throw anything out. You keep it all. Keep all your collections. It'll surface. Doug Henning. Anyway, I digress. Back to Yuri Geller. I hadn't thought of him in decades. Decades. And a few days ago, some news story popped up on my phone about him. He's selling this massive house outside of London. It's like an hour outside of London. He's selling it for like $10 million. It looks like the White House and it's 15,000 square feet. And I was shocked. This dude made all of his money from bending spoons with his brain. Except obviously he wasn't really bending the spoons with his brain. And then I read in the article that his neighbors included George Clooney and Jimmy Page. and I almost lost it. What a world we live in where you got a top actor and a top living musician having to live in the same neighborhood as some dude 
who bent spoons with his fucking mind. It was fake. It made no sense. <laughs> the guy should be shining shoes. Instead, he's selling one of his homes for $10 million. You got to see this house. It's impressive. Yuri, fantastic, really. But what the news about the house did was dredge up an old memory from 1992, I believe. Yuri Geller was still famous back then. Not as much uh, as he was in the 70s. I mean, not nearly as much. Although, you know, what did I know? I was a second-year lawyer working in New York City for Michael Kennedy. And Kennedy always had these weirdly odd cases. Some great ones and just some weirdo ones that were also great. And I remember one time we represented, or he represented, I just was there to help, Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller, they're that magician team. They were also really big in the 90s. Penn, Gillette, and Teller was the little guy who didn't speak. And they were, and I, I don't know, maybe they still are really popular, but they had a Broadway show too. And I remember that they came to see us when their Broadway show was on at the time. They were performing, I guess, five, six, seven times a week. And I don't remember the reason why Kennedy had to represent them, but I was in the meeting. I got into all the meetings. I mean, it was really, he had some cool stuff. And then all of a sudden, the little guy, Teller, Teller starts to talk in the meeting. Now, I don't have much of a poker face because he was a mute in the act. Okay, just, you know, Penn Gillette was the tall, crazy-looking guy, hairy guy with the glasses, and Teller was the little guy who just, like, smirked and smiled, and he didn't talk. I don't have much of a poker face, so he must have noticed the look on my shocked face. And he said, you thought I didn't talk in real life? <laughs> and yes, I did. I thought you were actually a mute. I did. I thought he was a mute. These are, were two really kind guys. They were amazing. And they gave me tickets to their show that night. And I went and, you know, this is the kind of people Penn and Teller were, are, is they were like, look, pick up the tickets at Will Call, at the Will Call window at the Broadway place, and there'll be a pass, a backstage pass for you as well. Your name will be on the on the list and just come back after the show. And 19 times out of 20, nobody would remember the young lawyer who was just sitting in the office a few hours earlier. They would just had more important things to worry about, but not Penn & Teller. I went to the show, it was amazing, and I went backstage, and these guys couldn't have been more cool. I really should go see them again. I, I actually did check. They're still performing. They're going to be in Wolverhampton in the UK this summer. I, I really, I, I may have to go. I, re I feel like I should. Anyway, if we can, back to Yuri Geller. I keep digressing. He was suing a client of ours, this older magician named the Amazing Randy. James Randy. Randy was an old school magician, like really similar in a lot of ways to Houdini, like this little guy. Not only was he magician, but he also became a skeptic. And this is a different country, different world. He investigated the paranormal, the occult, and supernatural claims, and he revealed them to be frauds. Now, it may sound silly today, but a lot of that stuff went on in the 70s. Faith healers, paranormal sightings, UFOs, they were all huge. ESP, remember ESP? If you're listening to this and you're under the age of 25, you're like, what the fuck is ESP? Well, look it up. Extrasensory perception. You could read minds. It's all bullshit. They had those uh, uh, the, the, the Ouija boards. Remember that? You could talk to the dead. It was bullshit. Those weird mediums on TV who claimed they could talk to the dead. Bullshit. The amazing Randy debunked all the crooks. 
But who was his biggest target? Well, it was Yuri Geller. Now, I remember James was a little man. He had this huge white beard. He had glasses. And I remember feeling awful for him that he was being sued by Geller for daring to say that Geller was a fraud, that he couldn't bend spoons with his brain, that it was, it was the act uh, wasn't the product of any psychic powers, but it was just a cheap magic trick. And Randy had been after Geller for years and his greatest triumph. Now, I didn't know this at the time. His greatest triumph over him previous to, uh, I suppose, his litigation was when uh, Johnny Carson had Geller on in 1973. Now, Johnny Carson was the greatest late night talk show host ever, the greatest ever. And he was also an amateur magician. And he clearly wanted Geller debunked as well. So he teamed up with the amazing Randy and they made sure that Geller couldn't bring any of his own spoons to the interview. Now, Geller was set up. He was told it was just going to be an interview and he wasn't going to be having to bend any spoons. So he was calm as can be and he walks out uh, on stage. And you can get this on YouTube. Just YouTube, go to there and do Yuri Geller and Johnny Carson. It's like 22 minutes long. It's absolutely phenomenal. And I didn't know about any of this and I just saw it recently. Johnny had his own spoons and these other metal instruments that Geller was not allowed to have any contact with before the appearance. You know, they didn't know about it. Then on live television, or it was taped and it was shown that night, he asked Geller to bend the spoons, do all sort of his, his usual tricks, including knowing what drawings were inside envelopes that Johnny's staff had placed in earlier in the day. And Geller was completely humiliated. It is like watching a man just being destroyed in real time. You have to see it. It's that good. This was all James Randi's idea to expose Geller. Geller tried to bend the spoons, and he claimed that one of the spoons was bent. It was really horrible. And according, and I read this, according to Geller's own account, he was so humiliated, and he thought that his career was over. He said, I'm going to go back home to Israel, and I'm done. But naturally, of course, the public is idiotic, and the entire thing backfired. And this is how this is how the world is, how America is. After the Johnny Carson debacle, I didn't even know this. I just found this out recently. Geller was immediately booked on the Merv Griffin show, and that was a daytime talk show. And he was on his way to becoming a paranormal superstar. And according to Geller, and you got to give this guy credit because he was really, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he was really some some fraudster. He said that the Johnny Carson show made his career to, you know, the idiotic trusting public, his failure that night on the Carson show only made his fake paranormal abilities seem more real because he was performing magic. It surely would work every time. And I got to give, you know, Geller credit in a sense, because look, he was a showman. If you sat with him now, man to man, he, I'm a showman. I was, you know, is it so bad that I was bending spoons and it was a magic trick? You know, nowadays it looks like it wasn't very harmful. It was harmless. He was a magician. You know, so what that he said it was with his brain. But this was a different time back then. And after uh, Geller got bigger, the amazing Randy ratcheted it up and began telling the truth about Geller, explaining his tricks, doing all sorts of things to make Geller appear bad making him appear as if the, the bending spoons with his brain was a fraud. And Geller kept suing Randy for zillions of dollars in a hope to, I suppose, make him stop making these claims by causing him to run out of money so he couldn't defend himself anymore. And it was sad to me because James Randy really was a great man. I didn't know him for long, but he was not only honest, but he was brilliant. 
And he was really tortured by this Yuri Geller, by the fraud, because he really felt that it was wrong, that if we're magicians, we should tell the world that this is just magic tricks. I mean, Penn and Teller do the same thing. All magicians do now. They admit that it's not real, but Yuri Geller wouldn't. To have to give up his savings, you know, to have to defend litigation like this. You know, the guy was a man of principle, and I had a lot of respect for, for James Randi. And that day in 1992, Yuri Geller was in our offices for a deposition. And I sat in on it. And I, I helped Michael Kennedy get ready for, uh, for the deposition. And Geller was, again, he was a tall guy. It's funny, when you're a younger man, when you see people that have huge magnetic personalities, they seem a lot taller. It's like when I met John Gotti Sr. for the first time, he seemed like he was like six foot eight and was towering over everybody. And he wasn't. He was just a regular size guy. Same thing with Yuri Geller. I think he might have been maybe six feet. But to me, it seemed like he was, you know, a foot taller than me. I don't know how tall he was. I would not be surprised to see that he's only around six feet. But to me that day, he seemed like he was six foot seven. And he was dressed, I remember, he had this open silk shirt and polyester pants, knit pants, nylon, whatever the fuck it is. He wasn't wearing jeans. And, <laughs> and he looked very much like he did back in the 70s, but he had this giant mop of hair in the 70s. And it wasn't an afro. He just had like just, he just had huge, this huge thick hair. And now his hair was short. Very quiet, very thin, very reserved. And it seemed so odd to me at the time that this polite man, and he was so polite that he could not only have been a fraud with the spoon bending with, with his mind, but that he was poor, just torturing poor James Randy. And I'm sure, I'm looking back, I'm sure Keller felt the same way about Randy. It's just a magic show, dude. Just Can you leave me alone? But it was just a different time back then. And it was a very uncomfortable deposition, and it was at a small table in, the, in Kennedy's office. He had a giant office that was like the size of my first apartment in Manhattan, and he had a, a, a smallish table at one end where he could fit six or eight people. I mean, it was the most immaculately decorated office you could ever imagine. And uh, Michael had a, a videographer there to tape the deposition, which is very rarely done in depositions. I do it all the time because I want somebody that I'm torturing during a deposition to have to know that he's being videotaped and I can watch and, and laugh about it later. It tends to add to the stress. To their credit, Randy and Geller, they hated each other clearly, but they were polite to each other. James never expressed any hatred of Geller to me, even though we were in private. He was just adamant that he wasn't going to let the guy claim that he had paranormal powers and when he didn't. Again, and again, I say this again, I know it's hard to believe, and I, I, I implore you to read up on this time. It was a different time in the world. Magic held a different place in society as it does now. Looking back, I'd like to think that people were perhaps a little more gullible then, although today people still get defrauded by Nigerian prince emails and cold calls for penny stocks, and they actually believe in Trump. So perhaps things haven't changed that much. Anyway, I digress again. At some point during the deposition, we took a break and I had to go to the bathroom. And as I walk in there, Yuri Geller is taking a leak at one of the urinals. I remember this bathroom like it was yesterday back at 425 Park Avenue, 26th floor. There were two urinals next to each other as soon as you walk into the right and a stall towards the back. What was I going to do? Go to the stall to take a leak? I, I, I sidled up next to him and I, you know, I began the process and I felt 
very uncomfortable because it was so quiet in there and I didn't know what to say. And technically I was the enemy because I was working for the guy that he was suing, but I really wasn't. I was just an observer. I mean, I was just a kid. I was a kid. I was annoyed by Geller for what he was doing to Randy. That's for sure. But he had this very gentle nature and perhaps because he was an Israeli, I had some empathy for him too. I really did. The whole thing just seemed dumb. So we're standing next to each other and I was a different person back then. The quiet unnerved me. And I think about the time around that time also that I was stuck in an elevator with Ivana Trump. Okay. That's the the wife, the ex-wife, not the daughter, not Ivanka. And I had to bring her up. She was being represented by Kennedy in the divorce. She was in the elevator with me. I had to bring her up from the car. And it was 26 floors. It was like the slowest elevator ride. Maybe it just seemed like it was slow. And I didn't know what to say. The silence was killing me. And I just turned to her. And all of a sudden, I hear coming out of my mouth the words, that's a really nice jacket. And she looked at me with like tears in her eyes. It was so dumb. So I'm like taking a leak next to Yuri Geller. And it's so quiet and it's going on forever because back then, you know, I could pee for a really long time and I guess so could he. And the quiet is just killing me. It's just killing me. And finally, I hear the words come out of my mouth with a smile. I said, you don't really bend spoons with your mind, do you? I don't know why I said it, but I said it. It was dumb. And he looked at me like I was nuts, like I had accused him of molesting small animals. And I look back on it (coughs) and he was right. It's like, dude, we're here. The whole reason I'm here in this office is because I can bend spoons with my mind. That's what the litigation is about. But to his credit, he was very calm and very smooth. He had to be. I mean, the guy was a magician who had gotten over on people and made zillions of dollars for fake bending spoons. And he said in a quiet voice, of course I can. Now, I wanted to make nice and say, brother, brother, it's okay. I'm with you. You don't have to say this. I really just wanted to be the good guy. I wanted all the magicians to be friends. You know, I was into magic as a kid. Now, I hadn't seen the Johnny Carson show tape from 1973 when Carson made a fool of him. It's not like you could, where was I going to get the information from? The internet didn't exist. This was in 1992. You couldn't get all of Johnny Carson's shows on a VHS tape. You, you, You couldn't. Google somebody. Google didn't exist. You couldn't find out about this appearance. Where were you going to look? You're going to go to the library and like search through microfiche. You're going to look in World Book Encyclopedia and look up Yuri Geller. You couldn't find this information unless you knew about it. So I was really trying to be kind and peaceful with Geller. And I heard myself say, can you bend one today? I'd really love to see it. And swear to Jesus, I was just acting like a fan. It was very unaggressive. I wasn't trying to be a dick, but he got pissed and he pulls out of the urinal and he zipped up really fast and he walked out. I don't recall if he actually washed his hands. I don't think he did. He may have. I don't want to say something that's incorrect because he likes to sue people. I do remember seeing him in the office after and noticing that he had a very good sized pee stain on the front of his pants. He zipped up too quick. He zipped up too quick. This kind of stuff happens to men on occasion. If you're a man, and I mean one that not just identifies as a man, but one that actually has an attached functioning penis, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. So I went back into the office <laughs> where my boss was and I said to him, hey, Michael, why don't you ask Geller to bend the spoon during the deposition? 
thinking like I was some kind of genius. I was a genius. Look what I just thought of. I was a genius. Look at me. Kennedy was not really a very emotive guy. He was Irish, more buttoned up than me then and now. It was always difficult for me to speak to him. He just wasn't a regular guy, at least to me, his employee. And that's surely what I was. He wasn't. He was also a lot older than me, and he had a lot more information in his head. He was an incredibly smart guy and had a lot, ton of information. He knew a lot about everything. He looked at me with, like, some surprise, you know, just like, what? And then a smirk. And then he pulls out this ornate spoon that looks like it was made out of lead, okay? It was big and it was thick. And he said, of course I'm going to ask him to bend the spoon. Why do you think I'm having the, the deposition videotaped? <laughs> if he could have looked at me and said, duh, he would have. But Michael was you know, surely above that. So the deposition went on. Geller, in his very quiet voice, answered all the questions. And when Kennedy finally pulled out that molten lead seven-pound spoon and asked Geller to bend it, naturally, Geller refused something about the energy in the room or something like that. And, of course, he couldn't bend anything with his mind. It was all lies. I think down the line, the case eventually got dismissed. or It didn't end in Geller's favor, obviously. And that was that. And now, all these years later... Yuri Geller is selling one of his homes, one of his homes, just one, for like $10 million, all because people are really dumb. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. Thanks for joining me. You can find me on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, beyondthelegallimit.com. Let me know what you think about the show. Let me know if there's anything else you want me to speak about next week, perhaps some legal stories that are a bit more traditions. See you then.